As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to, word, the, summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. This is the one whom I look upon with favor, declares the Lord. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. This morning's first scripture reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 1004. Again, the text is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, found on page 1004. It reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Our second scripture reading comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, found on page 1030 of the Pew Bibles. Again, the text is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, found on page 1030. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good awesome thanks Dakota let's uh, let's begin with prayer Heavenly Father we recognize that uh, Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. That all of the uh, makeovers, all of the uh, surface-level changes that we can make are just that. They are superficial. They are temporary. They're fleeting. And so, Father, this morning we come to you uh, being flesh. Knowing that flesh gives birth to flesh, we ask that you would send your spirit, who alone gives birth to to more spirit, who alone gives us life, resurrection life that enables a transformed way of living, a way of living that is pleasing to you, that is powerful in the eyes of the world, and that indeed is a contribution to your kingdom. So Father, I pray that you would please, Father, change us from the inside out as we seek to bear more of the fruit of your spirit. Uh, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, for we pray in Jesus' mighty and merciful name. Amen. Well, as most of you know, throughout this summer, we've been going through um, the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians, as Dakota read, and so this morning I'm going to focus primarily on the, the second passage they read, or that he read in, in Titus, um, and uh, as a way of doing so, as, a, as an entry into that, I want to read to you about a study that was performed in the 1960s. Um, <clears throat> This is, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if studies like this could be done today, uh, just because of, uh, of the, the nature of it, but uh, in, the 19, in the 1960s, there was a Stanford uh, researcher named Walter Michel, and Michel had this interesting experiment where he took a group of preschoolers, and they, they were all at their desks, and he set before them a marshmallow, a cookie, and a pretzel. Okay, and then, and then he, he made a deal with them. The little tykes were told that if they could, off, they could hold off eating any of the sweets for 15 minutes, that they could have two 
instead of one. How many of them do you think made it the 15 minutes? None of them. <laughs> Most, however, almost none of them could. A few jammed the yummy snack into their mouths almost immediately. Just ah, grab the marshmallow, be done. Most at least tried to resist. The children who held out employed a range of behaviors to cope with the temptation. Someone put the, with their hands over their eyes, right, and turn away from the tray. Uh, bearing the delicious temptation. Uh, uh, out of sight, out of mind, was kind of the idea. Others started kicking the desk or tugging on their hair. Some even played with the marshmallow, stroking it as if they were a tiny stuffed animal. Right? All these various ways of, of exercising self-control. The researchers analyzed the results, charting the children as a, on a four-point scale on their ability to delay gratification. And that was the end of the test. But, this is what's so interesting, this is where things I think get especially interesting, okay? The big findings wouldn't come until actually several decades later, and completely by chance. As fate would have it, this researcher, Michel, last name Michel, he, he, his own daughters attended school with several children who had participated in that very experiment. And over the years, he had heard through his daughter's secondhand reports about those particular classmates and how they were doing. And Michel noticed a pattern in the gossip. The children who seemed to get in the most trouble were the same ones who had trouble waiting for a second marshmallow. And so it piqued his curiosity. Michel and his colleagues actually tracked down hundreds of participants from the original study, now teenagers and older. Sure enough, the ones who had demonstrated higher levels of willpower as preschoolers were outpacing their peers. Not only did they have better grades and better test scores, they were more popular at school and less likely to abuse drugs. The benefits continued to mount as the, as the test subjects grew older. Now, this is amazing to me. The children who held out for the full 15 minutes, so there were a few, where there were a few scored a, over 200 points higher in their SATs than their, we, than their uh, weakest willed counterparts. The, this, uh, they went on to achieve various level, higher levels of education and reported higher levels of happiness in their relationships. Now, part of what made these findings so remarkable is that very few childhood traits are helpful in predicting outcomes later in life. Does that make sense? In other words, you could sit there and try to survey all of the various ways in which, which what, what does a child need, right, to have success in life, right? Does that make sense? And, and, and yet, and yet, and, and in fact, what, 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 what do you think what most people would say? Most people would say that as a child, you need to success, success in life, you need what? Intelligence, education, uh, you, can, you can think of the various, uh, the various you know, privileges, the various things that we think about that will create success. High self-esteem. No one ever thought that what was actually crucial, what might, what might actually give the single greatest indication of success would be self-control. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Now, self-control is something that our culture kind of laughs at. We do. We laugh at. In fact, today, it's not about self-control. It's about self-expression. 
I'm allowed to be me as I want to be, right? Whatever I feel like, whatever, whatever my first inclination is, that no one should constrain me. And yet there's a, certainly a dark side that comes along with that. In fact, we have in our neighborhood, we have a number of people who walk their dogs. And there's one particular a woman I see out every once in a while, and she has this dog that is just huge. And the dog is on a leash. And I'm always kind of wondering, you know, I'm always kind of wondering, you know, everything looks okay right now. It looks like everything's under control. But I wonder if that dog, like, saw a squirrel or whatever, <laughs> went after it, would she be willing, would she actually be able to constrain that dog and hold on? I think the dog just might just, you know, just take her. And that's how, so often, that's kind of how we see ourselves, isn't it? We think, oh yeah, I got my life under control. I'm walking the dog, no problem. And yet we get in the right circumstance, the right situation, and boom, suddenly we are out of control. Uh, there's a, a, a certain number of years ago, there's a, uh, a vocalist that I listen to um, fairly often. Fairly often, she's from New York City. Her name is Lana Del Rey. And she was, uh, she, was in an, she was giving an interview in GQ magazine. I was reading this. And she talks about her story of drinking. And, and I'm not picking on drinking. I'm not picking on musicians or whatever. But just it's just a great example, I think, of something that we can all relate to in one way, one way or another. She's she talking about her drinking. And she talked about how early on in mid, her mid-teens she started to drink. And she said this, quote, I thought the whole concept was so incredibly cool. This idea, here I am, 14, 15, drinking alcohol, it's so great. And she says, and she says, like, at first, it's fine. And you think you have this really cool dark side, like I drink. And it's exciting. And then you realize the dark side wins every time if you decide to indulge in it. Right? It's like, oh my goodness, maybe I'm not as nearly as in control as I thought I was. She continues, it's almost a completely different way of living when you know that it's like being in a, a, a different species of person. It was horrific. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. She recognized that how quickly something that she dabbled in gained control of her life, and she was no longer in control. So as much as we may think about this idea of self-control as as sort of antiquated or something that just seems to constrain. It's really scary when we come to the place when we look in the mirror and we realize, you know what? I don't think I'm in control anymore. I can't stop wanting what I want. I can't stop fearing what I fear. I'm no longer driving the bus. Proverbs 25, 28 has this to say. Listen to this very powerful metaphor. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through. What does that mean? A city whose walls are all broken through, broken down. What, they're, they're vulnerable, right? There's this vulnerability. When we can't control our passions, when we can't control our emotions, when we can't control our fears and our anxieties, whatever it may be, when we realize that there's a, there's, there's a sense of vulnerability, who knows what I'm going to do next? Who knows what kind of trouble I'm going to get into? Who knows what's going to happen to me? And so there are a very important question that was, as, we, as we enter into Titus here is to ask, is self-control limiting or actually 
liberating? Is self-control limiting or is it liberating? Let's jump into the text here. This is, uh, again, Titus chapter 2. Many of you, some of you may not be familiar with the book of Titus. It's a letter written by Paul to a longtime uh, co-worker named Titus. Titus, unlike Paul, uh, was not a Jew. He was actually a, he was, he was Greek. He was uh, from Asia Minor. And he had served uh, many, many uh, uh, years with Paul. And uh, they're, they're going through... Uh, uh, they're going around the Mediterranean world, and they, they land on an island called Crete. And, in, and uh, Paul actually leaves, uh, leaves Titus in Crete to help establish the church there, to um, appoint elders and deacons and various things, of that, various things like that. And it's there that in that context that Paul teaches on self-control. In fact, the entire book, the entire three chapters or so is all about, uh, has a lot to do with self-control, and we'll see that this morning. Now, so basically what Paul says here in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, is beautiful. It's so powerful. He writes here in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, this is so amazing, okay? He speaks of grace. We'll talk about that in a second. And then he says, Verse 12, it, that is God's grace, it teaches us to say no. That's self-control, right? It teaches us. Somehow, this grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, there you go, upright and godly lives in this present age. And so what Paul is saying here is he begins with God's grace. I'm going to call that God's compassion or his care. And what's amazing here is this care that he has, this, this compassion that he has, has been, he says, manifested, has, has appeared of late. And he's speaking of, well, of whom? Of course, of Christ. That it is in the person of Christ that we see that we can know the care and the compassion that God has. And this, guys, this is just so important. Who did, whom did Jesus hang out with? Sinners, all the least likely candidates. If you're this morning, you're thinking, you know what? I am the least likely person to have self-control in this room. If you're thinking, you know, I am so far from living the life that I should have lived. Jesus hung out with people like you, like me, like us. I mean, you can't but read Mark's gospel. Men, those of you who are going through the discipleship, men's discipleship group, going through the gospel of Mark. I mean, again and again, Jesus' followers, the 12 that he chose. I mean, I mean it's Jesus' fault, right? I mean, these guys, they simply don't get it. Again and again, they fail. And so this, we can, we can, we can in the abstract, you know, oh, God is just some guy, he's not, he's not concerned about me. He doesn't care about me. All that I've done, all that I am, all that I still want. Paul's saying, listen, God's grace, it appeared in the flesh. You can see it, you can read about it. You want proof positive that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, of prostitutes. Go read the text. So he says, God's grace, God's care, God's concern has appeared. And listen to this, it is a care. This is the first point I want to make this morning. That if we are to live self-controlled lives, God, we must understand that God's care 
cures. It cures. Where do I see that in verse 11? Look at this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Okay? This word salvation has to do with the idea of restoring, of healing. Soteria, or this notion of sozo, of, of, of saving, has this idea of restoring to proper place. So the grace that, that, that Paul is talking about here that has appeared isn't merely a, a leniency, right? It's just, ah, don't worry about it. You blew it, no big deal. I mean, it is that. It is, it is clemency. It is compassion. But it's not just simply leniency. It is something that actually go, moves into our lives and helps to heal and restore us. Think of, think of chapter 5 of, of Luke's Gospel. Actually, it's in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. But Jesus, is, um, Jesus calls Levi, the tax collector, and says, follow me. He leaves everything. And then that night, what's going on? Levi holds a party at his house. There's all these tax collectors and sinners there at the house. The, the religious leaders show up very upset, and they say to the disciples, why is Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors? And he responds, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that metaphor is so important. It's just so important. Why does Jesus use that medical metaphor? Because sin debilitates. It makes us miserable. It makes us unhealthy. Right? Fear. Who wants to be fearful? Fear, fear makes you miserable. Who wants to be a liar? Liars can't be trusted. Right? Sin takes us to a place that is just ugly, that is miserable, that is sick. And Jesus is looking at the religious leaders and he says, have some compassion. Right? We have compassion on sick people, right? Don't you see how miserable they are? I mean, aren't, don't you want them to feel better? And here, and this is what you've you got to understand, okay? I don't know about you, but I will wait forever before going to the doctor. I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm sick, but I'm not that sick. And then when I do go to the doctor, my temptation may be to, ah, what do they know? And Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, that to receive, to really receive God's grace, isn't just to go, oh, awesome, I'm forgiven, and then go on your way. It's to, it's to go into the doctor and to want to get better. Are you with me? So when we think about God's grace, it is a compassion, it is a clemency, but it is also a cure. Okay? So when we stop and say, time out, is, is when I follow Jesus, am I following him simply for forgiveness, simply for clemency, or am I following him because I want healing. I want to change. I want to be restored. And in that case, a doctor, is that we, we, we actually go to the doctor, we listen and embrace the treatment, right? Embrace the, uh, the, the, the diagnosis and follow the treatment. I don't know, if just if you ever get a chance, if you know people in the medical field, you can talk to them about what it's like to be a nurse or a doctor and how often people will come into them complaining of all kinds of things. 
and they will diagnose and they will treat and the person will turn around and walk out the door and not do a single thing they say. So like, why are you even coming for? Why are you here? And you know what, gang? It's the same thing in the church today. So many people come in through these doors. Not just, I'm not picking on Good Shepherd. I'm just talking about the church in America today. They come in, and they want maybe clemency. But they don't want a cure. And if we're struggling with self-control in our lives, to stop and say, okay, time out. Do I want a grace? Do I want a compassion that cures? Do I actually want restoration? A friend of mine is a uh, physical therapist. In fact, she sings for us regularly. You know Jessie, Jessie Meyer. She's a, but she will often talk to me about how, about how she, she, people will come through her door for physical therapy, and she will give them stretches, she'll give them these various exercises to do. They'll come back next week. Did you do the exercises? Did you do the, 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 the no, nope? They want a pill. And you think, don't you want to walk again? Don't you want to, don't you want to run again? Don't you want more, just full range of motion again? Yes. Well, why don't you do this? Well, it's just too much. So I want it, but not that much. And so listen, to, to, to actually begin to think about self-control, we have to ask ourselves, do I really want to be cured? Am I really that sick? Because the, the, the grace that appeared in the person of Jesus is a grace, it's a care that cures. Let me just very mention on this as an aside. It cures all kinds of people. Look, I love what he says there in verse 10. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to whom? To all people. And what Paul is saying here is not a universalism that says, oh, everyone gets offered grace in all of human history. It's an all of, of, of exclusivity. Does that make sense? It's all that says all kinds of people. If you look in the context of, of, of chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he's just been addressing different people. Look at verse 2. Teach the older men. Verse 3, likewise, teach the older women. Verse 6, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Verse 9, teach slaves. And Paul is saying the grace of God has appeared to all kinds of people. Men, women, old, young, slave, free. All kinds of people from all backgrounds, from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. All have access to this. So you may think, oh, you don't know my story. You don't know the history of alcoholism that I come from. You don't know the history of my, you don't, of my, of my family. You don't know what I've been through. I, the grace of God wouldn't extend to me. Paul makes it explicit that this grace that has appeared, that, that cures, is indeed for all kinds of people. Now listen to what he, look at what he says next in verse 12. This is so cool. He says here, he says, it, that is this grace, teaches us to say no. Now this word teaching here, it's, uh, the, the Greek is um, paideo. Uh, the regular word for teaching in, in Greek is didasko. It's like an actual teaching. It's like conveying information. Here, this word teaching is more like the word training or coaching. Okay, so you with me? So this, the, the care, the concern, the compassion that has appeared in the person of Christ is a compassion that cures. And how does it cure? By coaching. 
right? If I'm to receive God's grace, if I'm to actually humble myself, it's not just like me going to the doctor, it's like me going to a trainer. It's like me going to a coach. It's like me being on a team where the coach is the one who gives the commands and I'm like, okay, yeah, what do you want me to do? Yeah, you're part of the team. And you realize that the coach knows how to make you better. Is that your relationship with Jesus? Is he someone who coaches you on your money, on your body, in every aspect of life, fear, anxiety? You go to him as a coach. You go to him in the same way that you would go to, say, a trainer or perhaps to a, um, you know, to a piano teacher. Um, I think I might have shared this before. A, a former congregant of mine I was getting a PhD in, in violin performance. And I asked him one time, not only was he, obviously, was he taking violin lessons, but at that level, of course, he began to offer violin lessons. And so he would, I asked him about just observations about what it was like to be a violin teacher. And this is what he says, because it's so important. It has to do with this idea of, of instruction, of training. If I am to have self-control, and if I'm going to receive the, the, the care, the compassion from God, and if I'm going to do that, I have to be willing to be coached. And this is what he says about being a piano teacher, or a violin teacher. I love this. He says, the most important changes, the changes that improved my playing the most, just felt wrong. Isn't that interesting? Here's this guy at an advanced level of violin. And, and, and his, 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 his music teacher, his live violin teacher says, no, 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 you need to do it this way. And how does it feel to him? It just feels wrong. If you're going to grow in self, we're going to grow in self-control, there are going to be things that Jesus asks us to do that are just going to feel wrong. They're just going to feel weird. They're going to feel strange. They're going to feel bizarre. Like it's going to be counterintuitive. He continues here. I love this. He says that they, they just felt wrong. Because if, if we are a good student, now think of this. he's saying that this is the best case scenario. If we're a good student, errors will need to be pointed out. Why is that? Why is that? Because if I'm a good student, any error that I see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix, right? But he says even good students, there are all kinds of errors that they just don't see. And I'm going to ask you, maybe this is, this is where community comes in. This is where counseling comes in. Because we think, oh, you know, I'm playing the best I can play. I'm being the best parent I can. I'm, I'm doing the best I can with this particular struggle. And that's, that's wonderful. I mean, that is beautiful. But maybe there are things you don't see. And I especially want to just speak briefly to parents. You know, all of you, I know, I have no doubt that all of you parents are seeking to do the very, very best job that you can. There's no critique here. There's no judgment whatsoever. But could it be there are things that you don't see? Could it be there are things that I don't see? Often when, when Sarah and I visit my parents or when we visit other friends, I mean, we just had a pastor friend of mine come visit, stay with us for three or four days. At the very end of that, I will regularly, any sort of visit like that, I will regularly ask the people, hey, what do you see about our kids that we could improve on? Because as, as you just get used to your kids. You get, yeah, that's, that's Billy, he just grumbles all the time. Or, yeah, Billy, you know, he just, he's just always hitting people. That's just Billy. And it's like, no, actually, your kid's hitting people. That's, that's not okay. 
or you, there's a whining all the time, whatever it may be. And again, the, 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 the goal here is not to criticize. It's not about you being a good or bad parent. It's about us saying, I need outside help if I'm going to improve in this role. So he says here, he says, this is so good. He says, um, errors will need to be pointed out. And then he says, it will feel foreign to make those changes. It'll feel inhibiting to make those changes. And then he says, we love to think of ourselves as experts. Oh, I've played for two years now, right? In truth, we have, in truth, we have no idea how little we know. We can only see we can only see that in hindsight. Right? How many of you, think back, think back to, your, to yourself 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Man, what did I, I mean, I mean, that was just. Now, what will you say about yourself t- 10 years from now, your current self? Right? I was so wise. No, you'll still realize that, wow, there was so much I still didn't know. And so to receive the grace that has appeared, we are to be coached, we're to be taught, we're to be instructed, we're to be placed under the care of Christ and the care of those he has placed as teachers, as pastors, as leaders, as older spiritual older brothers and sisters. We're to place ourselves under their care and say, show me how to do this. What does it look like to use my money well? What does it look like to use my mouth in the right way? How do I encourage my wife instead of just running her down all the time? What does that look like? Help me exercise self-control in this particular area. Do you see that? So to, to truly receive the grace that has appeared, we're going to say, wow, I need to be cured. And I'm not just sick and I'll get better on my own. It's a sickness that recognizes I need a doctor. It's a sickness that recognizes, man, I was a fool back then. And my future self will also think that I'm a fool now. So maybe I am a fool. And maybe I, I don't see all that I need to see. He, let, me, let me read this again. In truth, we have no idea how little we know. We can only see that in hindsight. And by that time, we're, we're having to unlearn what we have wrongly made into a habit. That's what Christ wants to save you from. When we actually just say, surrender, I surrender, I give up, I'll just start following you. And, and just regardless of how counterintuitive, regardless of how weird, regardless of how unrealistic it all may seem, I don't want to go down the path of learning, making the bad habits that I have even worse. And then he concludes, as a teacher, I see how often students don't realize how much they can grow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I see that in so many of you. I really do. I see, man, I just see so much potential. It's so exciting to me. I see how God's made you, and I see just the, the talents, the gifts that he's given you, and it just, it just, I just get excited. I mean, there's wonderful people here at Good Shepherd, just wonderful. And I, I truly want to see that potential, and it can happen. It, can, it really can happen. So I just, um, so this is what, so what's the review here. God's care, it cures us. And it coaches us. It cures us and it coaches us. And let me just, I, I, I mean, if we don't make it through this, this, the rest of the text here, this is fine. So I want to focus on this idea of God's, God's care as that which needs to heal and cure us and that which actually coaches us, calls us into that sort of relationship that a, that a, that a player, that an athlete has with their coach. And I want to just give an example here. 
Um, since Rosemary is actually my daughter, Rosemary, she's 17. She's in uh, Montana right now visiting family, and so I'm going to use an illustration since she's not here. <laughs> Don't tell her. No, um, but she, she it's, a, it's a complimentary one. She, um, well, all, all my kids, Sarah, Sarah and I have made all our, made, that's the key word, we've made all our kids uh, do piano lessons. And uh, it's only in the last six months to a year or so that uh, Rosemary especially, Lydia as well, but Rosemary especially, has come to realize they hate this piano playing. It's actually kind of cool. In fact, the other day she was watching a movie. She was watching Pride and Prejudice, one of the you know recent adaptations, and the soundtrack has got some beautiful piano music. And what does she do? Of course, internet these days, right? She pulls up the music and she starts playing, and she starts playing, and she's not playing on time. This isn't like oh her piano lesson. She's just playing to play. And she's loving it, and she's drinking it in, and she's and she and then she realizes that she's going to go visit her aunt, who is an amazing pianist, and so she starts playing and playing and playing. Why? So that when she gets there, she can actually play it for her aunt. You see where self-control and and, and training, being under a piano teacher, eventually gets her. It gets her to this place of freedom. It gets her to this place of joy. This place of being a blessing to other people because she's undergone that paideia, that instruction that often is very counterintuitive, that is filled with drudgery at times. But this is the grace that has appeared to us. A grace that welcomes us exactly where we are, that picks us up again every time we fall down, that receives and welcomes and cares and is filled with compassion and yet is always calling us to something more. That is always coaching us to something greater. It is a grace that has laid down his life for us. Isn't that beautiful? So it's just so this so we see here, let me read it or we'll close with this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no. To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me let me mention this 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 idea of living a certain kind of life. Because I, I think it's just so important. This grace calls us out from, he mentions, saying no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, and to live in a certain way. And he lists self-control, uprightness, godly lives, uh, godliness. And I just, I think one of the biggest, what's the word, biggest engines for self-control is recognizing that God in his grace, that Christ in his love calls us away from something that is killing us towards something that is beautiful. I want to ask you this morning, what is that toward in your life? Jesus hasn't just saved you just so you can sit there. He saved you to enlist you, to use you, to be his instrument to be his agent of mercy and compassion. I would love for you to take a time out this week. In fact, I would love for you to work it into your schedule where you had a routine once a week, once a month, where you stopped and said, what is my purpose? Or even as a family, as a couple, stopping and saying, wait a minute, why has God saved me? He saved me from something, 
But what has he saved me for? What does that look like in my, in my work life, in my family life, in my church life? What are the gifts, talents, and abilities that I have? And it's that purpose that helps us, that is the engine for that self-control. Does that make sense? Because when I really know, when I'm passionate about something, this is what I'm all about. Then it's easy to make those, those, those sacrifices. Ah, self-control. I'm going to do this. I'm focusing on this. this. I'm not going to let this distract me. I'm not going to let that distract me. Not the social media, not sports, whatever. I'm going to focus on this calling that I have from the Lord. And it impassions us. And that's exactly how we get to this meal. It is the passion of Christ that gives us a passion for his people and his world. It is this table, a table of giving of oneself, a table of radical sacrifice that moves us to say, what sacrifice am I called to make? This, this act of love that calls us to further acts of love, this, this mercy that invites us to give more mercy. Let's pray as we move our hearts to prepare to receive uh, the Lord's Supper.